when there's too much of carbon dioxide and other so-called greenhouse gases our atmosphere ends up turning into uh, an oven where the sunlight enters the planet but doesn't end up leaving air pollution has a significant lifetime impact on your cognition your breathing your heart you can get pulmonary disease and how much are we building we started to look into these numbers we are building the size of new york every month i love architecture i would love to practice it but not like this air pollution essentially has two issues right one is how do you capture or collect it and second is what do you do with it mana devices collect and store these pollutants and that's why the aspiration is to figure out a logistics model which will get this particulates collected across the city and given to theaters we have a three stage process that we work with it is collect process build so we collect the carbon from various partners we work with a 200 year old craft and artisans and we build any plain pattern or customizable tiles over here so that's essentially the larger process of collect process and build Welcome to Mindful Businesses presented by Sarani and I'm your host Vidya Ayer. In our podcast we bring to you brands that are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business adopts and employs sustainable social, economic and environmental practices. With countries, the UN and global organizations setting frameworks and targets to reduce carbon emissions. we cannot emphasize how important it is to work in cooperation and in partnership with adjacent businesses to achieve these goals today we bring to you two energetic and mindful entrepreneurs who are doing just that we have angad daryani of pran clean air for all and tejas sidnal of carbon craft design products made with upcycled carbon Tejas joins us from Hubli, India, and Angar joins us from Mumbai, India. Welcome, Tejas and Angar. Well, thanks for having us. This is Angar. Thank you for having us. This is Tejas reporting from Hubli. We are recording this episode on November twenty first, twenty twenty one, and COP twenty six is in progress in Glasgow, where world leaders and delegates are meeting to discuss how to tackle. pressing issues regarding climate change and limit global warming tell our listeners anger specifically how does carbon get into our atmosphere i think um, just from an evolutionary standpoint you know historically whenever animals or specific reactions took place in nature you you know just as how fundamental chemistry works you have to have conservation of energy and this conservation of energy in physics is often calculated as kilojoules or joules but in the chemical world you have to have same kind of conservation of energy but that's sometimes done through breaking or forming different bonds and materials so one such gas or material happens to be carbon mm-hmm. and in the atmosphere the carbon we refer to as carbon dioxide uh, when there's too much of carbon dioxide and other so called greenhouse gases our atmosphere ends up turning into uh, an oven where the sunlight enters the planet but doesn't end up leaving because this continuous total internal reflection and that's how our planet heats up and that's what we're all trying to solve together as humanity 
So when you talk about greenhouse gases, which are the other gases besides carbon dioxide? Yeah, I think the second most prominent one is methane, the source for emission for methane, one of the largest sources, cattle. That's why the beef industry is often taken into consideration because many of these cattle farms have high methane emissions. But methane as a gas has a significantly lower volumetric impact to global warming compared to carbon dioxide. Uh, simply because CO2 is more prominent all thanks to humanity. And additionally, it's a very stable gas. So breaking up those molecules are very challenging. The other gases that we deal with are not so much associated with global warming, but with air pollution, as carbon monoxide, sulfur oxides, nitrous oxides, and you know, uh, CFCs, uh, which ended up putting a hole into our ozone layer. That's the context. I think Tejas and I fall into the overlap between air pollution and global warming because we started as air pollution and air pollutant mitigation companies um, and have slowly moved into solving challenges associated with global warming. You talked about air quality, you know, so when you open your weather app on your phone or on your computer, it often gives you the air quality for that day, you know, moderate, high particles and things like that. And in India specifically, Several cities, the schools had to be shut down because of bad air quality, say in Delhi in November 2019. So how bad is the situation? When you see dirty water, right, you can see it and you have an urge not to drink it. And we drink water, a healthy person, you know, three to four liters in a day. But with respect to air, we breathe like 86,000 plus times in a day right multiple times in a second so why do we not put thought into what we're breathing as opposed to what we're eating or drinking mm -hmm. that's one of the bigger psychological barriers but if you ask me how bad it is i mean we're a, a unit of power of 10 away from what we should be or power of 100 away from what the air quality should be uh, for it to consider it to be healthy like uh, pm levels sometimes cross 999 parts per million in new delhi in these seasons it's supposed to be in like below 50 so it's a significant problem to try and solve and the fundamental challenge i think is that we only give attention to it in winter season. But the reality is that throughout the year, we're already in really bad air quality standard. Mm -hmm. Because there's fundamentally infinite sources of pollutants, this particulate matter, the challenge becomes even harder and harder to try and solve. So why in winter season specifically? Is it because the cold air just kind of traps it? No, I, I don't think. In fact, particles lose energy in, uh, at lower temperatures, uh, just from, you know, there's lower vibrations in solid matter when you have a lower energy level. In winter, there's a large number of rice husk and stubble which is burnt. Now, the challenge is that since Delhi is landlocked, a lot of the air or wind that's flowing from neighboring states like Haryana, Punjab, where large farms exist, uh, is channeled towards New Delhi. And with India's economic growth, there's more spending on infrastructure. So there's massive infrastructure projects being taken up across the country, and that's leading to a higher amount of particulate matter being dispensed into the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, if you ask a wealthy person today who can afford a Tesla, would you buy a Mercedes or a Tesla? They'll buy a Mercedes uh, in India. So there's a 
clear market adoption issue as well with renewable energy and electric vehicles. So there, all of that put together gives you all this grief in the winter season. Bombay also has similar problems. Um, there was a landfill which self-combusted in 2016. I was actually in Bombay and I would wake up tired, like, you know, as if I'd run a mile. I was there as well. That was in Devna, right? I lived in Chembur most of my life. I saw that happening as well. But uh, frankly speaking, it didn't feel very different because um, Chembur has uh, also the RCF and the other on the pollution. So it's, it's also known uh, for having pollution most of the time in that area. So Chembur is adjacent neighborhood to Devanar where the landfill was um, in a self-combusting and RCF is the chemical fertilizer factory, which is also in the Chembur Devanar area. Yes, and that's what makes it like really unique in terms of an area which is locked between these pollutants. And that's where I lived most of my life. And I know what you mean. There was that time and we could feel it, but not so much different for us because I didn't feel the difference as much, but it was there. Yes, the levels of pollution really increased quite a bit at that time. You know, there's a reason why Indian athletes often don't perform as well in soccer or other sports in the athletics, not because we don't have the infrastructure or people don't have the abilities. It's because naturally to exercise and match performance of foreign athletes, our lungs have to work seven to ten times harder because our air pollution is so much worse. And so if you are already exerting yourself that much to train and to get that desired output, you often reach saturation when you have to perform on the global scale. It's kind of shocking that when we think of pollution, we think of, oh, my skies are not blue or, you know, the birds are not doing well. or the. But we don't realize that it damages your health, your everyday life, and even performance of athletes and and your health in many, many different forms. Yeah, I mean, if you see even today, nine out of the 10 people living in the urban areas are living in like polluted regions right now. A classic example that I usually see it as a visual is during the pandemic. In Mumbai, there was a video that was floated around that dolphins came back in Mumbai and everyone was going crazy about it like how did dolphins come back over here and that video was floating around it was exciting to see it and everyone was sharing images of before and after and how it was and now when you go back it's just back again the same thing and we are on the road there's again the complex issue of air pollution vehicles human industries a lot of it coming together back again so yes we have to solve it So you're talking about the dolphins in the Arabian Sea, which came back during the pandemic. One funny, it's not funny, it's actually quite sad. But (laughs) the reason I say it's funny (laughs) is because it's number we all know, but we pretend to sleep about. And and that is that, you know, COVID-19 unfortunately killed about three and a half million people in the first year. Air pollution kills seven million people every single year. We don't take it nearly as seriously. The difference is that I think the reason COVID got more attention is the time frame to death was, you know, a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Air pollution has a significant lifetime impact on your cognition, your breathing, your heart. You can get pulmonary disease, memory. All these are significantly affected. And, and if you're really unlucky, then you'll start seeing significant, you know, respiratory problems, serious diseases. 
what happened amidst the pandemic was that for both of us since air pollution disappeared our company suddenly became irrelevant for that <laughs> that one year no one was thinking about us <laughs> right uh, one investor i remember literally told me is like uncle this seems like a very futuristic idea is not really needed <laughs> right now in the pandemic yeah yeah in a few months you're going to call me again <laughs> because your air pollution will come back when the farmers burn the stubble so <laughs> it's a disease or a problem that we are uh, i think very conditionally fond of talking about yeah i remember having a similar con- <laughs> same conversation rather with uh, someone else as well and it is the same like are you going to get enough raw materials because there is no pollution right now and it is so funny to have that conversation it's just right now because everything is shut like literally shut <laughs> so it is going to start right so we're just going to be on the same stage again so what do you do at that time so all these pollutions like you say when industries were shut there was no pollution industries are up of course there are now pollutions but many of the industries especially at least in the us context they want to become net zero by 2050 so they are going to renewable energy sustainable practices moving to sustainable raw materials scrubbing their effluents but there are some industries which you cannot avoid and they will still continue to emit which are some of those industries i think net zero is a, should not be the right metric to hit it's like how much of my lifetime ev- emission can i offset while being entirely net zero that's when you will see a reversal because to get to net zero you will have significant emissions you have to change your entire energy source you have to change your entire grid all your vehicles and set up systems to capture the carbon emissions already done mm-hmm. so that is my personal take on net zero the second challenge is that many of the so called sustainable companies and sustainable materials are not regulated so there is more of what makes you look good than what is actually being done right i think they just and i have seen that we have mutual friends who claim to use air pollution but are actually picking up some other things and selling their product as made from air pollution and they have exceptional branding exceptional names associated with them because of that story that's being sold i'm only 23 years old right so when I was growing up I think for us it was always that the future is pretty bleak because why are we working so hard in school when the rivers are polluted animals are going extinct xyz so for me 30 years is more than my lifetime till date to wait till people go to net zero and so that's a very large number for me to take people seriously they're saying in the next 30 years like in probably not going to be alive and you leave it for us to deal with right so that's sort of my take on this situation that's a really good point so the 70 year old politician says we'll be a net zero in 30 years and you know he's really not <laughs> right <laughs> he's not really going to be around to enforce it <laughs> exactly my perspective to that is essentially talking about something which is like 30 years down the line is way too long mm-hmm. you don't know what's going to happen what technology is going to change how we're going to live we're going to be in mars we probably it's not going to be the same planet it's going to be different challenges we don't know until then we have earth so i don't believe in having really 30 year old plans and then really defining everything around that what's going to happen in the next 3 years is what really matters and we are already seeing it scientific data out there 1 and 1/2 degree warming would really be 
sort of devastating to a lot of uh, coastal cities. They're all going to be drowning. And what are we going to do then? These are things that I think we need to sort of think about more in terms of goals. Net zero is just a number that we're just going to more like validate ourselves and the share prices are going to go up. And I think we just need to sort of, I mean, as Angadriti mentioned, that we need to uh, work backwards from what we can offset and uh, start our journey from there. What would you guys suggest? To take it as an engineering problem, right? How many billion tons of CO2 must be removed from the atmosphere to slow down global warming and rather reg- negate the rate? So when you know what the outcome should be, try to solve from there. How's a product designed, right? It's like, who's the end user? What problem must it solve? At what cost? For how long? Mm-hmm. And if you have that, then you know what to build on. I don't think uh, politicians and corporate businessmen who have no scientific educational background are competent enough to try and solve global warming problems. And this is just coming from somebody who wants to see this solved and spending all their time trying to do it. But one person's not going to do any, <laughs> make any significant change. Yeah, actually, it makes more sense for him to solve this problem than us, right? He's 23. <laughs> he has more life to no. live. <laughs> Rather rather work like crazy through it because these guys are setting 2070 goals. (laughs) (laughs) He's 10 years younger to me, so he has more life to live anyway. But yes, I mean, to the scale at which we are building right now, if I have to look at some solutions from my perspective as, as an architect, then we started to look at how do we build buildings and the way we are building right now. And how much are we building? We started to look into these numbers. We are building the size of New York every month. And this is in uh, India? No, it's in, in the world right now. We are building the size of New York every month. That's crazy. Imagine 12 New Yorks are coming in every year. And that's the scale at which we are building right now. But who talks about materials? Who talks about how we are building? What are we using? So for me as an architect, it was really important if I'm going to practice, really practice and build more buildings, I am only a part of the problem. (laughs) I'm just polluting more. So why do I do that at the first place? I would love to practice architecture. Really, I love architecture. I would love to practice it, but not like this. Like you say, what materials we use to construct is so important to achieve these goals of um, not releasing more carbon into the air. Now that you know how much carbon is going to be released every year, how will you solve it, Angad? So it's not just uh, how much carbon is released every year, it's how much do we need to offset. Because the 1.5 degree rise in temperature, we probably won't be able to control that in the right time. But before it goes to 2 degrees and 2.5 degrees, where a plethora of trapped viruses and, and bacteria are going to be let back into the oceans and the air and also like cause cities like Mumbai to disappear. Mm-hmm. So it has to be an extreme multi-prong approach. And the reason I say extreme is because you have to hit stop and then you have to hit reset. You don't have to say, let's try doing things in parallel because people don't like change. And if people don't like change, there's a psychological barrier to making transition happen. But when there's political will and when there is enforcement that this is the only way, that's when things may change. So from our side, of course, we're 
like uh, even in co2 emission capture utilization you have to pick one battle if you pick all battles you're not going to move anywhere so pran as a company is focused on direct air capture of co2 and we started initially as a particulate company that's how i said we started as air pollution mitigation technology and then you know moved into co2 capture as well so we have to one control the co2 which is being emitted to begin with today that's what's called capture at source we don't do that our friends at carbon clean and other companies do that and they're now they're now big but even their big is like ultra nano size for what's being emitted right every day yeah 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 and then director capture companies it's so hard from an engineering standpoint and a cost standpoint that it's sad that there's only 8 or 10 companies like us who are doing it this aggressively that are funded and have like ultra rigid timelines like my team has to work saturdays and sundays to meet those timelines it's it's absurd and at the same time then you have to store away the co2 permanently for 1000 plus years because if you use it as dry ice or other means where it's going to get back into the atmosphere you just spent a whole lot of money a lot of energy and a lot of carbon to capture some carbon which was thrown back into the so that's where you know we look to companies like that of tejas or you know companies like charm industrial who pack away the co2 for thousands of years underground to try and make a change mm-hmm. and by the way while this is happening like everyone should buy electric cars or your energy source needs to move to solar wind geothermal a nuclear and your grid needs to be changed so there's a whole lot of work to be done if for those who are greedy and a financial outcome focused which is majority of humanity i think there's tremendous market opportunity no matter what you do should you choose to work in climate I must add that pran means life in Hindi. Right, stream of life, yeah. <laughs> yes. How did you two meet? You're about 10 years apart, so you didn't overlap in school. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think I met Angad at a conference in 2016, Bangalore. yeah, in Bangalore. Yeah, yeah. Under 25 summit. Yes, exactly. We were both doing different things at the time. Mm-hmm. As an architect, I was practicing at that time, I was building buildings. and i was polluting <laughs> guilty there <laughs> i was practicing at that time and he was speaking about his earlier work at that time and that's how i spoke to him i wasn't into this at that time at all 2016 so you were what how old i was 17 18 so what work were you doing at 17 and 18 that you had to go to a conference was present oh he has been super crazy in terms of his his ambitions and i think passion yeah yeah it shows i think he loves buildings i can say that for him mm-hmm. he was presenting something that he was building as well and the approach at that time i think he would be able to explain that much better that time. i don't even remember i just remember i met him i spoke to him i was inspired as well and then i went on my journey from there yeah at the time i just uh, i dropped out of school in ninth grade and started open schooling and started working with the mit media lab that time was one of the first people to bring 3d printing to india in 2012 2013 went around colleges teaching students how to do that and my work with mit was focused on india initiative so how do we build cross collaboration between mit and problems in health tech in india we ended up building three labs across the country i think more than 100 health tech projects came out of it i think ratan tata eventually ended up funding that 
program between MIT and India. Yeah, I was working on a series of those health tech projects to democratize ECGs, ophthalmologic technologies for eye problem detection, all, all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and then went back to school and was doing other things. I think started a project called Remaker Village. Like, can you take the maker community of designers, architects, construction folks, teachers to upgrade villages rapidly without government intervention? That sort of work, but... Um, Climate was always underlying, started with, I worked on electric vehicles, electric race cars in college, then built energy backup systems to power homes in Haiti. And eventually said, you know, this stuff is going to take too long to scale. That's why you should try to find solutions to air pollution and eventually carbon capture. So that's the context. Hardware engineer, fundamentally. I thought I knew him. So every day you talk to him, you come to know something new. (laughs) I didn't know more than half of it. <laughs> That's why you don't find information about Angad everywhere. Yeah, I had a hard time trying to find information about your technology on your website. He doesn't speak about it. <laughs> Just goes doing it. I think generally saying that the work that we're doing are very big promises to make. So you'd rather deliver first and then tell everyone how you did it, then tell everyone you're doing these things, but fall short in the delivery. I think too many people have done the latter. So our choice was do the former. If you fail, open source all the research and, you know, say what all you tried and didn't work out. So someone can pick it up from there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, just not the type to... uh, go out and and make noise not how they say fake it till you make it kind of a thing opposite of that won't get you too far (laughs) so you dropped out of school in ninth grade and what did your parents think about that in india people are very academic focused that's how my parents were and i'm assuming that your parents maybe not supportive but did they understand why you were doing it it would be a problem if i weren't doing well in school I was doing well in school, but I was very frustrated. And they're not the kind of parents to pressure me for anything. So as far as you are, I think, like you mentioned, parents are academically oriented. My parents are learning oriented. So they don't care whether I I learn it from one way or another. As far as I'm learning and growing and doing well, that's all that matters. I think I was always throughout school top three of the class. So when I said I want to quit school, it's more of a concern that did someone bully you or something rather than academic trouble. It took like two weeks or so, but of conversation with my tutors, I didn't really leave education. I left my school. I did two board exams. Normally, you'd end up doing one if you're in school. And I took those 10th grade exams in my ninth grade. So I had a free year basically. And since I didn't have to go to school, I could learn and do homework at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to go to tuitions or do homework. And that time was spent playing soccer or building things. That's so great. I wish I had that life. <laughs> it was totally different for me. It wasn't the same at all. Like mediocre student land up anywhere with that. Parents were always about marks. They always cared whether you passed, how much marks did you get? Was it 80 or was it 95? Why not 96? That's how it was. Those things drove. But I think what really stuck is, as you said, that's the common string, which is what I would take is you don't stop education. You don't stop learning. What really matters is it's a formal education, which is what 
puts us into uh, workplace oriented jobs that we are in we are trained for that we are not trained to solve problems that's a problem that's really a problem so that was 2016 how did you guys reconnect i think i dropped you a message on instagram or you did one of the two right i remember i did i think you were in us at that time i had seen he was working on the system back then and there was one of the media posts i think that came out i, I don't remember yeah cnn yeah i think i posted a picture yeah, yeah i think yeah that was it correct and i think that triggered oh great he's working on evolution as well and we are working on evolution as well so like let's connect now and we had spoken just for like 5 minutes not even 5 minutes in 2016 that's about it not even more than that but just one message back again and we both knew that i think you're still trying to solve it's the same problem and uh, when you come back uh, please do let me know and we can sort of catch up and i think i don't even remember if we met when did we meet after that i don't think we met until we met in the pandemic when tejas came to mumbai for some work and i think we went on a walk late in the night that was 2 years after that though <laughs> right yeah <laughs> i have a very slow turnaround time he's very patient <laughs> when you know the vibe is good when you know the chemistry is there when you know that people are genuine to solve the problem you connect so what are you two doing together now what is your solution the aspiration or the design solution is that prans mark 1 systems capture the particulate matter you know we don't sell one device we sell a cluster so in a city you may have you know thousands of such clusters purifying air in hyper local areas mm-hmm. and our devices collect and store these pollutants for 2 to 6 months based on where you install it because the particle size is very small so to make a large number of tiles you will need a very large number of particulates now these shouldn't be put into the dumpster because they'll end up in landfills and be released back into the air and that's why the aspiration is to figure out a logistics model which will get this particulates collected across the city and given to tejas and they'll do some exciting things with it which he can throw more light on describe the device to me the innovation how big is it yeah so a single mark 1 device is 6 feet tall can be attached to street lamps sides of buildings or placed on a stand as you see it on our website and say like a average indian campus residential apartment complex or you know which has a cluster of buildings or a school would have up to 50 devices so if you're looking at public streets you're looking at north of 100000 devices per city because the impact is hyper local So those devices have to run in a manner that's carbon negative because our energy comes from coal so there was tremendous work required there you have to have your raw material which is stainless steel um has to be mined thoughtfully and the companies that we work with are although in india are european companies which have to comply with the highest environmental norms Uh, if they want to be exporters from india so they do part of or share part of my grief when it comes to ensuring our raw material is taken care of basically what the device is doing is it's pulling in polluted air separating the particulates storing them and releasing clean air back into the the hyper local atmosphere how is this device different than the scrubbers that they attach to you know the flues of say 
a steel mill or a cement plant or how is it different? So I think those are quite large, firstly. Second, when you say scrubber, most of them have some element of liquid for separation or they're electrostatic precipitators which generate ozone gas and electromagnetic noise. And these end up costing hundreds of thousands of dollars at the lowest. And you can't use such systems for ambient air. Ambient air is much, much harder than capturing from a pollutant source because your wind speed, direction, dynamics keep changing in a city based on the architectural changes. Mm-hmm. And the rate at which pollutants are being introduced on two adjacent properties may be different because the wind is flowing differently on those properties. So Prana has its own software, which will determine based on your real estate, what number of devices you need and how to place them, and what's the best case impact you can have. So we don't say we're 99.99% particulate removal because we don't sell rainbows. I'll tell you, hey, you know, in best case, 22, 23, 25%. But that's a large number from an annual basis. If I'm gifting you 60 days of clean air in a year, I think that's a significant, you know, two months of your life every year is a, is a big gift. Now that you've captured the particles, how do you give it to Tejas? Yeah, so each of our customer who buys a cluster gets a drum and they have to empty this collection chamber into that drum and they keep doing that till it's filled. So that's our internal plan for it. And because it would happen every two to six months, as we scale, we'll end up developing patterns of which customers and how frequently that gets filled and you have it picked up. And by then, I think Tejas's company would scale and probably faster than ours. And they'll need much more pollutants than we can even provide. So we'll be one of the sources for his pollutants. You talked about the energy that your devices need. What are you using? Are you using solar or some other renewable energy? Every single customer has an option to add a renewable, like which is solar and lithium-ion battery pack add-on because our devices are low energy and can run off these renewable sources. But let's assume they don't do that, which is what we're expecting in most cases because people don't have the space or the inclination to spend an extra dollar. So we had to do a life cycle analysis and a operational analysis from a particulate and carbon emission standpoint. And through that, what came out is that even if it's run on coal power, we are net 54% negative in terms of particulate emission. Mm-hmm. I don't like that number. It needs to be 100%. But the thing that we want to make sure is we're doing more good than harm. And that's what we were able to confirm. So now the particulate matter has been transported to Tejas. What do you do with it, Tejas? So essentially, we have a three-stage process that we work with. It is collect, process, build. So we collect the carbon from various partners, as Angad mentioned, or uh, factories directly as well, where the carbon is as a waste in a solid form. Then we send that to our facility in Karnataka, uh, which is in Hubli right now, where we process the carbon. We standardize the carbon for a certain application over here. And then we send this from here to... Uh, Morbi. Morbi is in Gujarat, west of India, essentially. So Morbi is also the second largest tile manufacturing hub in the world. Uh, this is where we work with a 200-year-old craft and artisans. 
and we build any plain pattern or customizable tiles over here. So that's uh, essentially the larger process of collect process and build that we work with. So the way we will get it is also from the perspective of what Angad really outlined. Air pollution essentially has two issues, right? One is how do you capture or collect it? And second is what do you do with it? once you've done with that because we started with a similar point of view that let's capture and build something with it that's how we started with a brick we try to see if we can make a brick the most basic element which is used for construction because we started with a audacious plan for ourselves like can we build carbon negative buildings and from that vision is when we started running backwards what do you need imagine if you want to make an indian curry Anywhere in this world, you would need those spices and vegetables, right? The right kind of spices. If you don't have those ingredients, you can't make that Indian curry. You won't get that taste. So how do you do that? So to make a carbon negative building, you need carbon negative products. And if you don't have those carbon negative products, believe me, you can't make a carbon negative building. So forget the net zero that you're talking about. There are very few carbon negative products out there right now. And we're talking about net zero buildings and those are really out of the line assumptions that we want to do. So we went down and we do that. Okay, now we are architects, but we can't build with this. Let's build carbon negative products. Let's start with that basic brick. And when we started with brick, we thought that, okay, now how do you collect it? So we started to see if someone could give us the carbon, if we can work with that, but it was very expensive. This is 2016, 17 now. It's very expensive to take it because the capture didn't cost was out of the line for people who were working in this. And there was too little carbon that came from the air as well. And all sorts of problems that we can hear, but we made a brick and then we realized who will buy this? Mm-hmm. It goes into a wall in India. It's not like in Europe where it's exposed and you can name it and frame it and talk about it and color and everything and texture. In India, it goes inside a wall and there is a paint on top of that. It's not even seen. And you get this red bricks for four cents. That's how much you get this for over here. Who will pay for it? No one. So we went from that. Uh, we spent about a year. How much would your brick have cost? We didn't even go to like calculate that because we didn't do it at scale. We were just trying to evaluate and we were so excited that we want to make a brick, the basic element. And then we realized that this won't sell. So the first point that we learned over here was you need a design element. So what will people really pay for? People will pay for design. That's what we learned first over here. They don't mind paying for design, but something that goes into a wall, which is again plastered out and not seen, I'm not going to pay for that. That was very clear as value proposition that we got. So it needs design. That's the first thing that we learned. And we took like a year, year and a half to learn that. In the next year, we still thought we could capture and make it. (laughs) So we thought, what would people pay for? So we then thought that let's build a facade. So a facade is like an external skin to a building. Imagine like a skin which is covering the entire building, like which is also capturing the air pollutants, but also made out of that. So we went on to make that, but we are no engineers. Like Angus really talking about it from a very engineering perspective. We are architects. We don't know a heck about technological way of building it and how do you capture it and the weight of, of the particulate matter and the mass. And we don't know all of it. All what we did was we just put a suction pump outside and we tried to capture the particulate matter through a filter and uh, we could get dust 
out of this and we, we try to make it but dust has no inherent properties as well so how do you mix it how do you work with it as a base material all of that started to have as a problem we started with that and then we realized that how many people really want this now it is not a need-based product again how many people will put this as a feature outside not many so it's not scalable so the point number two that we learned over here was it's not commercially scalable so that's when we moved into a third this is now in 2019 when we really realized this by the end of 2019 so 2000 sorry end of 2018 so 2019 early we decided that okay let's choose one problem you can't fight all the battles either you can capture it or you can utilize it so we took like three years to learn this <laughs> three years to just get to this point in the meantime were you practicing and doing this on the side or was this your full time this is still on the side while polluting on the other side <laughs> yes i'm really sorry but this is the hard reality this is what it is as angad said i'm trying to believe to say that i'm going to do more good than bad eventually and it's a constant endeavor to be able to be in this journey it's not this or that you can't choose this or that here i mean if i was born in a very rich ass family probably i would have done that i could have done that but no we don't have the privilege or the luxury i would say to do one we're trying really hard to take the leap of faith and go on the other side once we raise funds probably we'll be able to do that but yeah that's the journey you still are an architect yes i am still an architect i'm still designing buildings but in every building that we do we are trying to push for these strategies maybe from the space planning perspective maybe from the material perspective mm-hmm. this helps us learn about new materials in the market this helps us learn about the construction technologies and how we can bring changes within the systems because at the end of the day we are building products for architects right for the building and the vision is to make carbon negative buildings so we can't be completely off of that because it's a long shot probably in 10 years we will want to build a carbon negative building with all the products made out of carbon negative products largely so yes i'm still practicing as an architect while i'm doing this <laughs> guilty as charged don't worry i'll make him quit his job soon <laughs> he want to raise some money will raise it he has to tell me when he's ready is enough of these building drawings <laughs> he has to do this full time <laughs> you have to take the leap of faith and say this is going to happen and i do think this is about time that they just that you will be able to do it for instance you went to amsterdam tell us about that how did you end up in amsterdam what contest was that it was last year i think we applied for this what design can do competition uh, it's a no waste design challenge it's a global competition that we were a part of there were various cities about six seven cities if i'm not wrong from various parts of the world tokyo delhi amsterdam and london and lots of these other cities that they had a challenge for very specifically and uh, there were more than some 1400 applicants for this and we were the one of the 16 participants who won this competition globally and we were invited to amsterdam for an accelerator program over there so we were there for that to learn more about different cities and how cycling could be a part of a city in the urban fabric that was amazing to learn in amsterdam so coming back to angat your product doesn't have any filters how did you manage 
without going into too many specifics of the tech because that's where a lot of our intellectual property is for the device a filter is great because it has very high capture efficiency it's almost like uh, think of it as a, a tennis court but with a massive net where no ball can get through or very few like super tiny crazy balls will get through but most tennis balls and basketballs won't right that's what a filter does how do you emulate that in the real world without a physical barrier mm-hmm. the reason to do that if you are looking at outdoor spaces the volume of air you must purify is order of magnitude or two orders of magnitude higher than what you do at home per device so and to be able to do it with filters is definitely possible but it's not viable because the cost is extremely high and that's going to be paid by taxpayer or end users and these filters land up in landfills and if you look at a true hepa filter not most of the junk that's sold on the market for low cost but true hepa is very expensive single home true hepa purifier filter alone can cost you about 8 to 10000 rupees like 120 dollars per filter mm-hmm. what we ended up doing is we ended up becoming the first company which is able to visually capture and see the pollutants the only challenge is that we don't collect enough of it in clean areas like my house uh, to, to be able to in a short time frame generate a lot of raw material from a technology perspective what we had to innovate on was if you're running a fan constantly to draw in pollute there one the suction volume has to be very high but the energy consumption has to be extremely low so we took learnings from electric vehicles from new startups operating in the consumer electronics space to to use certain kinds of motors and uh, energy systems then to separate it out uh, we tried to use as much of nature as possible so we use gravity to a large extent within our devices to allow particulates to settle in the collection chamber and then we do what we call quantum capture which separates these particles from the ambient air and drops them into this collection chamber that's as far as i'm allowed to talk about it in detail but it's a three step process in very layman terms but it ends up being extremely complicated because the particulate size is very small the wind dynamics keep changing and like i mentioned depends on where you place it and what the pollution levels there are it's very nuanced <laughs> a lot of magic happens inside the device so how much does this device cost we actually don't sell it what we do is we lease it to low income schools to real estate companies to industries so that the cost of breathing clean air per person per day is less than 1 rupee that's 1.3 cents that's where if you see our mission and tagline is clean air for all this is for all it's not a molecule or a dyson which are beautiful products but top 1% can afford it they just talk about the products that you are making with uh, ungard's capture essentially what we do is that we have about 18 plus in house patterns so we have various sizes uh, starting from 200 mm by 200 mm 250 by 250 300 by 300 and going up to 600 by 1200 mm that's like really big size and the patterns are available only in small sizes 200 mm by 200 mm because it's like the small tile if you have seen this old buildings old historic buildings which have these 
marble chips you know like texture of the old with colored sort of these tiles smaller tiles is it the terrazzo yes it's a terrazzo tile you would have seen this in old buildings all around the globe when the way it was made basically earlier it's the same look and feel so that you go back it's classic we do only black and white we don't do any color at the moment no chemicals added from that perspective as well and we like to keep it bold black and white and up various sizes that you can get with that at the moment so what holds the carbon we use various sort of materials we majorly the materials are marble chips uh, marble powder the carbon that's there and other proprietary materials do you use cement yes to an extent we use cement as well but it's way way lower at the end of the day when you see the material palette one needs to sort of look at it from the perspective of the carbon footprint of the material it's like comparing the material apple to apple if i compare our material along with the raw materials that are used and the manufacturing energy that goes into it what would be the carbon footprint of the carbon tile versus the vitrified tile uh, you always compare it against one and the other we are one fifth in terms of the carbon footprint already on the other hand what we are also doing is we are working with industrial byproducts that's an r&d constant r&d that we are doing so that we replace even the part of cement that we are using with the industrial byproducts we've been fairly successful i wouldn't claim that yet we've been fairly successful even with that but uh, scalability with this kind of a raw material becomes uh, an issue because uh, we are looking at it from the global perspective what i do here in india should be replicated in london tomorrow and how can i use uh, industrial byproducts which is sort of largely available globally as well if you we want to scale this that's one second what we are also trying to do here is uh, we are trying to work with co2 so storing co2 into the tiles will reduce the carbon footprint even further there's like a fourfold plan that we have with using co2 into the tiles which will be largely benefits that we're going to have with co2 and we started with this idea of working with co2 from the perspective was only because our curing time is very high right now so essentially which means if we manufacture these tiles we need to water cure them for about 28 days so imagine there's a 50 square meter or a 500 square feet order that comes in we take about 2 uh, to 3 days or up to 5 days based on the pattern and the intricacy of it and then we take about 28 days to cure it which means it's just sitting in the infrastructure is being water poured on this and is gaining its strength and then there would be grouting and then other polishes that go into it and then it's packaged and then shipped it's a 45 day lead time mm-hmm. and no one wants to wait for 45 days and we don't have the capital to keep it in inventory even if we raise funds we still won't be able to keep the target of 1 million square feet which is what we want to achieve in the next 2 to 3 years uh, with this lead time with that inventory line we can't so we need to figure out a way of how we deal with this lead time so that's when we thought that why don't we cure this with co2 and curing this with co2 will have four larger benefits one co2 will give it the strength so not only the carbon in the solid form but also in the gaseous form would be stored and sequestered into the tile two the carbon footprint of the tile would be further reduced from what it is and hopefully we are able to store so much more carbon into the tile that it becomes a carbon negative tile three the curing time reduces this is a major curing time reduces from 28 days to 8 hours that's an exponential growth for us right away over here so imagine how we can sort of scale the system right away 
And fourth is, this is actually also critical for us. We may use, if we are at the target of one million square feet, we would use three billion liters of water to cure it if we do the water curing. And this would come down to zero with CO2 curing. So you're saying if you took Angad's raw material, that's the change that will happen? Yes. So Angad has essentially, as he spoke earlier, he's essentially doing both. As we spoke about from the start, we started from air pollution as the issue, which is the particulate matter, and then moved into CO2 as well. Mm -hmm. So now we can essentially use both from whatever Angad's capturing. So again, we come back to the same problem, basic problem of air pollution. How do you collect or capture it? Second, what do you do with it? So he would capture the PM particles and the CO2 separately, and we would be able to use both separately into the same tile and store it for decades and even for generations. I think as you mentioned, right, our goal or I think ambition of many of us carbon capture and utilization companies is to store it away for more than thousand years. If you do it in a liquidified form over thousands of years, you'll end up having oil again on this planet. So we don't want to leave or get future generations to go back to this stage. And so the preference is to not go that route and is to store it away permanently in materials. So if you use it in building materials, you have at least 100 years. And then there are additional ways where you can really put it underground for thousands of years by compressing it, liquefying it and making it inaccessible for immediate use. How much would this tile cost? At the moment, one tile costs about $2. And we are looking to scale our production unit once we raise funding. With that, we would be able to come down to $1 per tile. How much funding would you need to trigger you to leave your job and do this full time? So many people have asked me this question and I always end up saying how much, as much funding as we can get at the initial stages. And I think that answer would stay sort of constant for most of the startups. But we need about one million dollars at the moment to scale our production to one million square feet. And with that, we would be able to create an impact with three billion liters of air that we would be able to prevent and also the social inclusivity that the artisans will be able to work with so we'll be able to sort of add 100 artisans into our team with this so are there any toxic chemicals which remain in the final product that are captured no we also have rohs certification so rohs is restriction of hazardous substances so we've cleared that certification as well which means that this is one of the most stringent certifications for us to export to europe as well we can do that if we have an enough sizable order why is europe so ahead of say us or india is making great strides but Europe is so much more ahead in this uh, front. Why is that? And I understand like the government implements policies. And from what I know, EPA regulations in many countries are probably just as stringent, but there is no public acceptance. What is different about the people in those countries? If you have to carry 50 bricks versus if you have to carry 1300 bricks, the rate at which you can make progress is going to be different. So if you have a country with a population of 50 million and you have a country with a population of 1.3 billion, the rate of change is different. That being said, and at the same time, 
most of these countries were those that ruled we were a country that was ruled so we were significantly resource depleted and had are not even a hundred years old as a country right with respect to independence so given that time frame we've made astronomical progress what needs to change aggressively and i have no doubt whether it is central government or certain state governments in this country they acknowledge that this problem exists and there is an intention or a underlying belief that this must be changed so what causes people to move in a direction is you either personalize the problem for them or you motivate those people in in manners which they are motivated politically or financially by no means am i saying bribery but to make i think people in power care about how they look more than the work they are doing and they want to remain in power so if you can make them look good while trying to make drastic change you are going to make progress happen so if you don't have to worry about vaccinating a billion people and spend money on that you have tremendous amount of resources left to plant trees and go carbon negative and what not like european cities do no i think at, at the end of the day we are all looking at population as a larger unique situation right we are in while i was in amsterdam i can share this there was a company where they made bricks out of the polluted uh, soil that was there and uh, they used heat to sort of get rid of all the chemicals from the soil and then they made bricks out of this i asked uh, what price can you sell this at because we were there right about 4 years ago and we shared our experience and why one can't do this and i was surprised i was really surprised the price of the brick ranges from 0.17 dollars to 250 dollars per brick 2 dollars 50 cents or 250 dollars 0.17 dollars to 250 dollars i repeat 250 dollars per brick it's crazy you'll have to put the name and you know like frame it or something at that price you can't build a building with that yeah it's definitely a supreme brick they printed supreme on the brick and they sold <laughs> it is literally stamped on each of those bricks and it's put out on the wall on the exterior wall and that's how they sell it and it's crazy for me to think because so what's the scale factor here how are you going to scale this because in india you get this for 4 cents <laughs> and no one's going to buy it for more than that <laughs> even if you sell them this with gold no one will buy it it's too expensive and that's the change i'm talking about like the market is really mature over there people talk about sustainability they want low carbon intensive products it's not the same in india we have different challenges here and willing to pay it's a very different challenge in india and i, I don't think we can compare that so like an apple to apple situation again but talking about the indian context here it's is very difficult to work in this context is it it has its own challenges again like how angad mentioned i am positive again and like as an architect as well as a human being who are trying to solve problems you got to be positive about the future and you have to be or else you can't build moonshot uh, startups you have to be positive about the future it is going to be good so one of the mails that we got was from the delhi government i'll just share this quick uh, they were excited about the tiles and they told why don't we use this you are taking this carbon and we can sort of use it in government buildings in delhi we can do this and talks went further and then we discussed this they realized the carbon that we are sourcing right now is not from delhi so the question came 
it's not from delhi but air doesn't have a border air pollution doesn't have any border so why is that a matter of a concern right now you can still use this and deploy it right but no it's not delhi air that you're cleaning so how do i put it so is there any factory that is there in delhi that you can put your machine or you can take the carbon from and then you can make this i'm like no <laughs> not right now ask them to give me a call i'll i'll deal with this for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that's what's required <laughs> So it's the optics they're looking. They want to solve it, but they also want the optics of saying, "See, there we are solving the problem in Delhi. We are central government, and we are there in the capital." It's not central; it's the state. I think I've dealt with the same that Tejas is talking to. It's the state, and that's exactly what Angad really mentioned, right? If you can make them look good. they are really interested they want to talk about it they want to solve this problem and the way they are solving the problem is really weird i mean we can go on and on about that as well they put this machine in the center i don't know where in delhi right now and i don't know if it does anything and what is this machine that you're talking about yeah it's a 2 million dollar smog tower that's supposed to purify the air in the cities it uses hepa filters that the taxpayer pays for which lands up in landfills it uses more energy than i think a cluster of buildings combined to run all those gigantic fans which end up emitting coal particulate matter into the air did i mention it cost 2 million dollars yes um, <laughs> so you can buy 2000 mark 1 systems buy for 2000 dollars that's after pran paying itself so just imagine where this uh, is going without being particular dissing people the basic question that they are not asking themselves is that you cannot solve an infinite volume problem with a finite volume machine pran doesn't purify the atmosphere we create microclimates that have cleaner air i think uh, one of my mentors is ramesh raskar who's a professor at mit and he had said this to me 3 years ago when i embarked on this journey he said don't chase rainbows think about the problem and try to solve that problem the rainbow is that i'm going to purify the atmosphere is it possible from a physics perspective no mm-hmm. so do what's possible and we'll solve the problem i've completely enjoyed talking to both of you and learned so much in this episode no thanks for having us and hopefully more people can listen to this and get excited about doing things in climate or air pollution we need like 1000 more companies like ours then something will happen is your technology patented yes so how will 1000 more companies they got to work hard and build it themselves nobody would fund me if i didn't patent it air pollution is a complex issue This is just one part of what we are trying to solve. It's not that this is the only way you can solve. There are various other companies as well even today who are trying to solve it in different ways. We can be sort of critical about how they solve it. The only thing that I think we should remember is if you're solving a problem, don't create another problem. That's what I would say. <laughs> Because we try really hard to make a product where you can reuse it back again and it doesn't end up creating one more problem that is why we are also coming out of the water problem that we are creating and trying to use co2 back again it's important to address this issues that usually it end up solving one problem and end up creating another big problem
on that really uh, positive note and um, insightful note, thank you so much, Tejas and Angad, for coming on Mindful Businesses. Pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. We had a fun time. I hope people who are listening and you as well had a great time. I just was all smiles just watching you to banter and uh, talk. I, it was. It made my day. You're listening to Mindful Businesses presented by Vidya Ayer. We would love to hear from you. Send us a voice note with your questions or comments to info at mindfulbusinessespodcast.com. Rate and review us on Apple Podcast. If you learned a thing or two from this episode, share it with one friend. We recorded this podcast in Lafayette, Indiana. Theme music was composed by Tatum Gale. Our marketing assistant is Caitlin Milligan. This is Vidya Ayer with Mindful Businesses.